Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on. And Fredo Artiaga. I have Griff Kaufman here. I have Simon Clancy here after a two-week hiatus. He's back. Where, you, where were you, Simon? Um, I had an ear infection, actually. I, got, I found out a couple of days ago I've got a perforated eardrum, which isn't great. So, um, oh, Jesus. Uh, um, yeah. What? We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so for somebody that works in uh, audio, as I do... Losing my hearing is probably not the best future plan for me. So, uh, yeah, I went to the good. doctors. No, I went to the doctors on Saturday, and he showed me. He stuck some camera in my ear, and my eardrum has a hole wider than the Dolphins' run defense. So, uh, <laughs> it's pretty big. So that's kind of where I've been. I couldn't hear shit last week, um, and I've got like a buzzing in my ear. But I'm, I'm back. I'm here. I was here in spirit. Plus, I was getting loads of grief from some guy on uh, on our Twitter account because apparently I had a gap between my teeth. I've got a gap between my teeth, um, which clearly causes causes this guy a massive issue. Um, and then somebody else said something. He kept going on about a Brit box. I have no idea what a Brit box was or is, in fact. And also, Brit. If he meant British, he was spelling Brit with two T's. But he was really fat and needed to lose weight, so it was uh, it was fine. So it was easy to put him away, but. Anyway, I'm here now. I mean, you know, what's the yeah. fuss about? Well, we, what we did learn in these last two weeks is that you have fans. Oh, I'm well aware of that. People one. that absolutely despise you. I mean, I don't, again, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, I, wonder what, I wonder why it is. Do you think it's the accent? It's probably the accent. I, I mean, think, like, I I think we need to invest in this Brit box, though. Because yeah, definitely. I, what I imagine it'll do is uh, we could we could hook it up, and if Simon is out again, then you know yeah, we, we could get plug the... it in, and one of us is now Simon. What I think yes. it'd be cool is that the people that despise me next time in the states, if they actually had the front to come up and say it to me, then um, 
<laughs> then we'll um we'll have a conversation. But I mean, the internet makes uh, strong men out of lots of people, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you who was not despised, and that's our very own Chris Kaufman, who made his debut on FiveReasonSports.com, and mm. everybody and their mother read read that Gasecki piece. I'll be honest mm. with you, I did not read it. Are you two going to get married? Everybody, everybody except Alf. <laughs> yes. To be honest, okay. I didn't read it either, buddy. If you could give us. If you could give us a very brief synopsis of what the piece was about, Chris. I don't do brief. Um, <laughs> no. Now, uh, I'm going to quick... take a nap while this answer happens. <laughs> you go take care of that perforated eardrum, buddy. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I, I, I might reply to some nice tweets talking about how, how like fat blokes from Opalocker really don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> Because my accent or some shit, I don't know. <laughs> oh, in all seriousness, we've talked about almost everything in, that was in that piece. We've talked about on the show before. So if you're a listener on the, on the show, then you you probably have already heard the better part of it. It's just a, a general rundown of how the Dolphins drafted two guys, second round and fourth guy. It was it was not just about Gasicki, although I, I mainly ended up making it so, but. Um, they drafted two guys in the second and fourth rounds, and then they just didn't use them. They didn't use them the way that they're supposed to be used. And, um, and it, you know, you could really compare it to 2010 when the Patriots drafted two guys in the second and fourth rounds and um, two tight ends. Uh, they're both, you know, one of them was a classic Y and one of them was, a, you know, more of a joker uh, or a, um, an F, and uh, just like Miami did. And they just had a completely different level of commitment to them as co as a coaching staff and so you want to talk about this disconnect idea how does what does it look like when people talk about disconnect between the front office and the coaches that's it you know in 2010 the, the new england patriots uh doubled their usage of multiple tight end personnel uh on the field uh, after they drafted Gronkowski and, and Hernandez in the second and fourth rounds Miami drafted Gesicki and and Durham Smith in the second and fourth rounds in 2018 and their use of multiple tight end personnel actually went down it was you know in one of the one of the one of the smallest numbers really in the league and um and which is all the more ridiculous because Gesicki the headliner is a guy that needs to be in there on multiple tight end personnel. He's not, he's not a guy that works as well in 11 personnel as your only tight end on the field with three wide receivers. If you have, it's basically like having four wide receivers, which just puts a ton of pressure on your quarterback um, because now you don't have as many options for blitz pickup and, and, um, and certainly as many options uh, to run an effective ground game out of that sort of personnel. So he was never destined to be able to be used in 2018 if Adam Gase was going to stay religiously devout toward, uh, toward 11 personnel, which he did. Among all the, all the feedback you got on, the, on, the, on that article, some mm -hmm. of it was not as positive, I would say. Who? And there were many, <laughs> there were many that were just saying that, well, they took your piece as being a little bit too rosy and they were just saying, you know, one of them is Omar Kelly. Mike Gusecki just does not like physicality. And essentially what Omar Kelly was saying is give up on Mike Gusecki. It's over. What do you yeah. say to those people? In essence, what do you say to Omar Kelly? 
Well, I just think I just think that's reductive to to talk about. You know, oh, he's just not physical enough. You don't need to write an article about that. And no, that he's he plays a position before he'd even played a down with Miami, before he'd even been in training camp. Really, the coaching staff already said what he is. They said he's an F. You know that that he is that type of tight end. He's not a Y. And if you're going to use an F in your offense, there's a certain way that you have to do it. And Miami was not committed to to using the personnel groupings that would be compatible with that. So there was already a disconnect happening before the before he had played a down of football for the Miami Dolphins in the preseason or in training camp, and and so there was already that disconnect happening, and that deserves being explored. That deserves being written about if you want to be thorough and detailed and you don't want to be overly reductive, then yeah, you, you should probably explore that. I, is, is it all over for Mike Gesicki? I mean, listen, I was as turned off as some other people with some of the things that we saw last year. Is he ever going to be a real why? Um, you know, like a, if you wanted a Rob, Rob Gronkowski, you're never going to get that. Um, if you want somebody that's a little bit closer to like a Zach Ertz who also can't block his way out of a wet paper bag, then, um, then yeah, you know, that's, then maybe you still got a shot there if you use them the right way. You know, they, the Philadelphia Eagles took, um, took their guy, Dallas Godair in uh, second round, who's often compared to Mike Gesicki. And what did they do? They immediately pumped up their use of multiple tight end personnel. And except in this case, Godert is the is the guy that is a real why, whereas Zach Ertz, you know, to be sort of a more of the move guy, and it unlocked both of them. They got good good production out of both of them. Um, Miami clearly, that was clearly beyond Miami last year, uh, or at least this coaching that coaching staff that Miami had, unfortunately. Um, and it was also, just, let's not forget that it was always a tease though. Not- Let's not forget that the Dolphins also decided that it would be in the best interests of both the team and of Mike Gesicki to make him learn every single position. So not yeah. only did he learn his tight end position, he was learning the H-back position. He was learning a sort of hybrid fullback position. He was he was learning the slot. And he was learning both boundary receiver positions. And, and the true why. Exactly. Exactly. And it's difficult enough for a... Um, for a tight end as a rookie to come in anyway. But when you're trying to learn five, six, seven positions on the hoof, mm-hmm. learn how to be a, you know, a, a better blocker and do your own job, it's not an impossible task. So whether or not they were setting him up for future years or, I mean, I assume that must be what it was because obviously if he comes on the field and he can't block, then you're obviously tipping your hat to the defense already in terms of what mm-hmm. you're going to be doing. But, you know, he was... He was behind the eight ball, should we say, I think, from the get-go. So it will be yeah. interesting to see how it plays out when he's hopefully freed up a bit more, which looks like the, the signing of Dwayne Allen is going to free him up to, to do a lot more in the in the receiving game, which can only be a good thing. And I, I wrote on our social media that I believe he will ultimately end up being the sort of Aaron Hernandez of this offense in terms of, you know, wasn't a particularly, you know, wasn't necessarily going to smash you in the mouth as a blocker, but would mm-hmm. get down the field as a scene buster and, uh, you know, somebody that would get open and hopefully you know, make plays in the red zone, which is what we're going to need if we're going to, you know, win more than two or three games, which I don't think we are. But anyway, that's for another conversation. If he's going to bust out, at least let him do it, you know, in 
in the way that doing, he doing what he does best. Yeah, he's doing uh, doing what he does best, and and he's just his best isn't good enough. You know, his what he is as a player just isn't good enough, and maybe that's the case. I mean, that's I'm not saying I'm not declaring anything victory wise on Mike Gesicki certainly, um, uh, but let's at least set it up so to do what he was drafted to do. And then we'll find out. We'll begin to find out. And I think learning all those positions Sometimes is too much for him. And it was trial by fire. And, you know, it just just didn't work out. Sometimes a Ferrari is just a Ferrari. I'm not saying he's a Ferrari, but it's the first car that came to my head. And if you want to go off-roading, then don't use the Ferrari. Buy a Jeep. Do you know what I mean? if, if If you want to drive on the road and drive off road, then find a suitable car. If you just want to drive fast on the streets, by the Ferrari. I, you know, I think that's kind of where we were with Gasicki and where we will be moving forward. So you just got to do what he does best to maximize his ability. And hopefully, as I said, hopefully Chalochet will do that. I will yeah. say that I put together all of his targets from last year. When you really stack it up, it's a little bit surprising, actually. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't remember there being that much positive on there, to be honest. Um, yeah. When I stacked it all up and looked at it, you know, he was getting, he was getting open. He was creating separation physically, you know, against linebackers, using his strength and using his hands against defensive backs, using his strength in his hands. Um, you know, everybody that says that he's, that he's got no balance whatsoever, that he runs like a, you know, baby giraffe or something like that. Like uh, on that, that particular tape of 31 targets that was not the case on maybe some of the other routes certainly he got knocked off balance I saw several times this year um but it was a it was a pretty good tape actually and and he's one of the only tight ends PFF came up with this among the guys that had at least 30 targets he was one of only two guys that caught every single one of the catchable balls which means that he presented an open target for himself when when the ball all was thrown to him to where he could pull it down. So it was never, you know, knocked down by the defensive back or knocked down down by the linebacker or something like that. Every time it was catchable, he caught it. So I'm, um, you know, there's there's something there. We'll we'll see. Well, that's well, that's an endorsement. There's something that there's something there. That's you know, rousing <laughs> endorsement for Mike Gasecki. But yeah, like like Simon said it many times on the on the podcast last year. Year one of a tight end rookie tight end. You know, don't expect too much. If he's great right off the bat, then who yeah. knows? You probably have yourself a Hall of Famer. Sure. But you have to have a little bit of patience. And right. I'm not ready to, you know, just throw him in a trash can and say, okay, it's over. We, we drafted a bust. Like, I want to see more. Mm-hmm. I want to see him develop. I want to see how he does. And in, in an offense is probably going to suit him a lot better. Yep. All right. Well, we had some news, didn't we, Chris? You we did. Me, we you told me that we signed three players, and I was like, "Really? We did?" <laughs> for f- considering it's the first week of, um, or you know, I guess now the second week technically of uh, of April, and the draft is still two, three weeks away. You know, it's, it's supposed to be a pretty dead time, and then all of a sudden, the Dolphins signed three players today. I thought it was uh, interesting, and two of them I find to be interesting. Um, but, you know, they might not be the same, too, as everybody else. So what they did is they signed probably the, – the headliner is really J. Ron Elliott of, um, from the AAF, the now defunct AAF, mm-hmm. um, officially defunct. Uh, it's a shame. He was probably the most coveted asset coming out of the AAF. And I, I, I don't say that, 
you know, I don't say that to exaggerate or, you know, as a homer or anything like that. He was probably the most uh, coveted guy coming out of there. He had a ridiculous pass rush rate or pressure rate coming out of there. He had seven and a half sacks. He got to the quarterback for a sack like 10 times. He caused fun. I mean, he did, he did a lot of strip sacks. Um, he looked fantastic over there and he has looked fantastic in the past with the NFL. I mean, this is not a guy that's new to the NFL. He was with the green Bay Packers for four years. He went off to the new Orleans saints last year in 2018 and had uh, training camp and preseason with them. So he's been around the NFL. The reason he hasn't caught on, I think is because he's regarded as sort of a pure pass rusher. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and sometimes those guys have a stigma, like there are defenses that are like, well, that's, that's just not for me. And Cameron Wake faced that same stigma when he came into the league. Yeah, they have that, that reputation as a, as a specialist. Yeah, initially with the New York Giants, he didn't even make it to training camp with the New York Giants. And then when the Dolphins got him from the CFL, you know, there was, there was a stigma associated that, with that even on our own team. In 2009, he was having ridiculous success. And they still, you know, they still kept him on the bench and didn't play him that much. Um, there's a stigma associated with those pure pass rushers. And sometimes you see those guys take a little time to get going in their career. I'm thinking of guys like Jerry Hughes, who was initially declared a draft bust. I'm thinking of guys like Brandon Graham, who was initially declared a, a draft bust. Uh, Cameron Wake was initially, you know, he wasn't really a bust because he was a UDFA in the first in the first place, but certainly never going to be an NFL guy. Um, sometimes a little bit later, you just mentioned three out of the top five pass rushers. In yeah, the NFL. absolutely. They're the, they're like the top pass rushers in the NFL as far as effectiveness at getting to the quarterback. And early in their careers, they were considered bust because they're pure. They're sort of like pure speed, pure pass rush types. And, you know, you can throw in a Mario Addison in there or somebody like that, too. Um, I, I think that there's a stigma associated with them, and, and sometimes it's hard to fight through that. But I think J. Ron Elliott is getting to the point now where his pass rush is so compelling that he might be ready to break through that, that barrier. And we'll see. And the other point that I made that I, think, that I think is worth noting is a guy like this, like gets started this late in his career, he's always going to be a little bit underpaid. You know, even when he, he gets to the free agent status and, and he's trying to cash in, he's always going to be a little bit underpaid because he's behind. Um, he, he doesn't have the same pedigree, doesn't have the same, you know, age as other guys that are reaching the free agent market. Uh, so it could be, you know, the, the potential is good if, if he works out. Uh, if he doesn't work out, then, you know, nothing lost. I think the Dolphins did a good thing to go ahead and sign the most coveted player from the AAF, basically. Well, I think he showed some early promise as well, didn't he, with the Packers and the Cowboys. I think probably yeah. Keith Reese at the Orlando corner and um, uh, and Gilbert, the kid who signed with the Browns, uh, and Elliot with the three kind of standout performers, really, in terms of, um, I think Reese ended up signing with the Chiefs. Um, but, you know, look what he's up against in terms of making that. Obviously, there are going to be more players to sign. You, you figure that we'll, you know, add probably two defensive end type players um, and then a number of undrafted free agents but in terms of you know there's four guys on the roster at the moment Charles Harris is flat, flattered to deceive completely Tank Carradine you know who's mm. been a blowout we all liked him coming out but injuries have slowed him down and then you're looking at you know Jeremiah Valoga and mm. Jonathan Woodard and, mm. and that that is it you know mm. so he's got a, a real shot at making the team in terms of you know 
you kind of figure like these AAF guys are going to, you know, end up being sort of camp fodder and late cuts or whatever. But actually, he, as much as anybody, stands a, a significant chance of making of making this team and being a valuable uh, contributor at some point. And if you were just to stack up his time in the NFL with Green Bay, as you say, um, and some whether it be his preseason work with the Saints or preseason work with the uh, Green Bay Packers or the regular season work he did with the Green Bay Packers, if you stacked it up against Charles Harris's pass rush work, uh, I'm sorry, but J. Ron Elliott's pass rush is more compelling than Charles Harris's. And, you know, I don't mean that to denigrate Charles Harris um, this early in his career because obviously he's, he's still young and still developing but that is what it is and certainly what what Elliot showed in the AAF this last this season you know a couple months ago is is very compelling a 20% pressure rate is is highly compelling you saw him being brought on the field by his team in pass rush situations, largely as a right outside linebacker, but um, you know, some sometimes also on the left side, um, and just his ability to get after the passer and and strip sacks, and you know, I, he's got such good flexibility, um, and he's just a really compelling player. So I think I think they won that one. Uh, I, Alf, I don't know if you have any thoughts on him. You said you didn't really know these guys that well. Oh, I watched them play. Uh, yeah, they were guys that I was I was intrigued by but the one that i really wanted was wolford and i don't know if he's signed anywhere yet that's the arizona hotshots quarterback the qb no i don't think he has no and i suspect miami wouldn't get into that game at all until after the draft Mm -hmm. right i mean because they're also interested in um in that guy uh from utah um um, his name troy williams yeah troy williams yeah he is not he is not going to be in the draft. Like everybody thinks he'll well, be a draft pick or a UDFA. He's not going to be in the draft. He's already technically been in the draft. So he's, he'd be free to sign right now. If Miami's interested in him, they could sign him right mm-hmm. now. But I don't think they're going to do anything there until after the draft because the first thing, they've already got three guys, right? They've already got three quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, so the first thing they're, they're going to do is – But they the really first don't whack. have any. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. But, I mean, the first whack at the bat is going to be in the draft. If they draft a guy wherever they do, um, that's going to be their fourth, their fourth arm. Uh, if they don't, then, okay, maybe they're going to circle back around to guys like John Walford or Troy Williams. Um, but right now it's just going to be after the draft. Can we just very briefly, sorry, can we just very briefly address, before we get into the defensive and offensive linemen, can we just address what Peter King said in his article today about Dwayne Haskins being the big faller? Um, Mm. uh, And in terms of, because, you know, this is the thing that really gets people excited in terms of quarterbacks. And because it was a very interesting piece from Albert Breer today as well. Breer said teams are very much evaluating drafts in uh, certainly at the quarterback position in terms of not just one year anymore. They're looking at two and potentially three years in terms of how you would rank quarterbacks across the, um, across two and three years, given the strength of future classes and weighing up whether or not, for example, 2019 matches up with 2020 and those sorts of things. What do you think about King and Haskins? We, Chris, you and I have long talked for 20 years about the pre-draft smoke machine. Where do we <laughs> feel like this is in terms of how close to the, to the nozzle of the smoke machine are we right now? <laughs> we're, we're getting pretty close, it feels like. Um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to really take – it's hard to take any of that stuff, whether it was you know him 
for sure going to the Giants or, you know, now all of a sudden, oh, he's falling, he's the fourth quarterback. Um, it's hard to know where to take any of that. I think, you know, you and I have our own sort of qualms with Dwayne Haskins, especially, you know, is he where does he stack relative to the guys next year that we know are going to be in the class? And then, of course, the guys that kind of come out of nowhere and tend to go at the top anyway. Um, you know, is, is he that good? Is he not that good? I think that if he does fall to 13, I would be at least a little bit surprised if the Miami Dolphins ended up passing on him. And just that's just a matter of fit, um, mm-hmm. you know, a matter of fit with with these coaches, the success that they had with a pocket passer who, you know, basically played the game a lot like Dwayne Haskins does. And so if they're they're not in for that, then I think it's certainly uh, um, uh, an indictment on what they think of Dwayne Haskins sort of off the field in terms of personality, work ethic. Is he the guy to really lead your locker room? Is he the, you know, is he the guy? Because we we talked about it before. I mean, he showed up that pro day and he was huffing and puffing, putting his hands on his hips and – and and sucking wind like five minutes into the throwing session it was it was it was really bizarre it looked like he had the flu um you know and and so what does that say about his about his uh his physical work ethic i mean we know what his mental work ethic is like but what does it say it tells you that as soon as he stepped off the field at ohio state he started eating and not really caring much about his body is what what it says because he showed up at the combine kind of a little bit chubby and a little bit slow puffy and heavy he was he was a bit fat wasn't he yeah Yeah. can so can i just can i just on the same subject can i just read to you a statement that jack del rio has said within the last hour don't be surprised when we line up for the season next year if Russell Wilson is quarterbacking somewhere else. Oh, now, Jack Del Rio obviously has, has, uh, has worked with Wilson. Don't get me with excited. <laughs> now we're talking. Where, where, do we st- where do we stand on that? Because it does feel that it's April possible, 15th right? did that. I would, not be at all, I would not be at all surprised if Wilson was traded somewhere before the, before the draft. That April 15th cutoff that he set, is obviously, I mean, Seattle don't have, I think Seattle have two picks in the first four rounds. I think I would not be surprised to see it happen if they were to deal him away. Potentially, the New York Giants, for example, the Oakland Raiders, the Miami Dolphins. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I would not be surprised to see him traded before the draft. Well, it's much. It's, it's very much like the, the Dwayne Haskins situation. The reason you draft... Dwayne Haskins at 13 is possibly out of fear. Fear that you pass him up. He goes and produces somewhere else. You pass him up for some quarterback, 2020 quarterback to be named later. And let's say Haskins produces somewhere else. You draft Mm -hmm. your guy in 2020 and he busts. It pretty much gets everybody fired in this, not only the front office, but the coaching staff as well. The Buffalo Buffalo. Bills are being panned for exactly that. They, they, they dealt the pick that Patrick Mahomes was picked at to the to the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's really the fear. It's the gamble and the fear. Now, Russell yep. Wilson is a different case. If Russell Wilson manages to play quarterback anywhere else for lesser assets than what we are capable of trading, that's a problem. And I'm talking about it's a serious problem because he's an elite quarterback. 
He's a top five quarterback. He has plenty of time. A lot of people like to point to, oh my God, he's going to turn 31 next year. Yeah, so what? You know, he's he's going to be an effective quarterback for the next six, seven, eight years. He's got 10 years. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah who cares that he's going to be 31? He's still an effective quarterback. He's an elite quarterback. Yes. And like I said, I said so on the podcast and I said it online on Twitter. I'm, I'm pretty open to trading a lot for Russell Wilson. And I know that what, what would you give up say? for him? I, I would give up three first round picks for him. Okay. And I would do it out of to to absolutely guarantee myself Russell Wilson. You know what it means? Just draft better in the second round going forward to fill out the right. team around him. And you are going to have oh. a lot of cap space next year too. So not only can you pay Russell Wilson going forward, you could you know fill in around him to help him. Yeah, I, that's what? the thing that I would I would get to is that a lot of people will would say about that idea. That's a horrible idea just because you'd have to give up all those draft assets. And then in addition to it, he's going to get the biggest contract ever given to an NFL player, which yes. he certainly is. Um, and I get that. I really do get that. Yeah, the problem, I agree, I agree uh, that Miami, it, sounds, it sounds desperate, you know, but hello, we are, you know. Well, but Miami, the, the point to make is that Miami doesn't have anybody to spend that money on right now. I mean, they have $120 million reported in cap space scheduled for 2020 and god only knows what and what they have on the books for 2021 uh so they have a lot of i mean they have a lot of cap space scheduled for the next couple of years and nobody to spend it on you know that's the thing like cap space does you no good if you have nobody to spend it on yeah so you know if you don't have anybody to spend it on and then russell wilson comes up and you're like well you know Maybe that's a good place to spend it. Um, yeah, that works. That works for me. I'll, I'll take that. By the way, uh, the Dolphins also signed a Brazilian defensive tackle. Um, yeah, Derval Neto. Yeah. He, he's and, part of the international program, isn't he? The, the one that's right. Seen, uh, so there's been a British rugby player called Christian Wade who played at a very high yep. level as a professional rugby player over here, signing the Buffalo Bills. Um, and it's part of that international program in which people like OC Uminura, OC Works as part of the group of international scouts, I suppose, who, who go to different mm. countries and try and um, find players and they go to a sort of an international combine. Um, and then each team has one of the international players on their practice squad. So there's an English guy on the Atlanta Falcons practice squad, a tight end called Alex Reed, I think. Um but there's a number of, you know, the guy that the big wide receiver that the Vikings drafted in the seventh round Marcus a couple of years Florida. ago. Mar yeah, exactly. He was one of those international guys. So um, I, I strongly suspect our Brazilian tackle um, doesn't make. I mean, I mean, look at our offensive line; he'll probably start 16 <laughs> games, frankly. <laughs> but you know, for I think most of the, the teams. We're not sure what he's going to play. Whether it's defense, he played defensive tackle in Brazil. We'll see what he plays. Um, I think there's sort of historical precedent for moving to the offensive line, especially with, you know, Pat Flaherty having coached uh, Chris Reed, who was a shot putter. And, um, and certainly it's been in the experience of the New England Patriots with Stephen Neal, who was a wrestler, uh, had very little football experience before they made him a starting guard, really. So we'll, we'll see what that is. I will say this, um, you know, kudos to them in this way. The NFL has set up these advantageous rules 
to where you can have an 11th player on your practice squad all year mm-hmm. if it's one of these mm-hmm. one of these international players and kudos to them to go for going out and getting the guy that I'm told by by somebody who professionally evaluates exactly these players for NFL teams and for professional teams I'm told that he was by far the best of the international group of players uh, the most compelling. So, um, so yeah, I mean, he had, he's 308 pounds, six, six foot three, and he ran a 7.09 cone. That's, that's ludicrous. Absolutely ridiculous. Hmm. Um, and he, you know, he can do a backflip and all that. And, and clearly against all those other Brazilians out there, he looked so he's like a, he's a Bobo store, Kalen Saunders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What of, um, what of Albert Breer saying that we're one of the four teams that have, of touch base with the Cardinals regarding Josh Rosen, ourselves, Washington, the Giants, think, and the Chargers. I think that's about Kyler Murray, to be honest with you. Doesn't that doesn't that sound like we're we're you know prying about to see what they're thinking and if Kyler Murray is actually going to go number one? Because if he doesn't, all types of possibilities open up for us. Because all of us have heard separately that we're we're out on Josh Rosen, right? The Dolphins yeah. are yeah. out on Josh. They don't Absolutely. like. I don't think that the Dolphins are in on Kyler Murray. I mean, they would be if he was there, but let's be realistic. He's not going to get anywhere close to yes, uh, yeah. teams with more powerful trading tools, mm-hmm. yeah. for want of it's, a better word. It's uh, very would, hard. Would, would, you know, I just don't think that that's possible. I mean, you know, I've said this over and over, but if the Dolphins do not trade down, I'll be staggered. They're looking yeah. for players. They've got about 31 spots to fill, maybe 20 yet. Eight now with the three guys today, Ricardo Luis, the Brazilian fella, and uh, Joe Ronelli. You know, we've got what six draft picks. They are looking for picks and they're looking for players and they're looking to load up for next year as well. Um, I suspect that that will be because actually, really, the strength of this draft, unless somebody like Ed Oliver falls, maybe Juwan Taylor, mm. but the strength of that draft is in the 20 to sort of 55 area. You get yourself some extra capital in that area plus something else next year. And you're cooking on gas, I think. I mean, it's not, you know, you're not beyond the realms of possibility to, to move down and get a Bradbury or a Risner or, a, you know, any of these guys. Um, you add to that safety uh, department, there's, there's corners, there's, there's players all over the place, you know, and you, you can get a couple of extra second rounders and there's Collier and there's Bonogu and there's, you know, Gardner Johnson and, and whoever. Um, to me, that, that feels like the, the play. And I just don't feel like Kyler Murray is ever going to be in play for the Dolphins. Now let me let me ask you some, let me ask both of you something because I don't think that I've gotten you on on record on this. You asked me about Russell Wilson. Simon, what are you prepared to trade if he became available to you? Um, I, I think the three first rounders is a is a decent. Yeah, this is a this is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. This is a guy who's one throw and essentially one missed block away from winning multiple Super Bowls. I mean, you'd already have an argument as to whether or not he's a Hall of Fame player. He's currently probably a Hall of Incredibly Good and on the verge. You look mm-hmm. at that offensive line in Seattle, mm-hmm. it perennially has been bad. You know, he gets knocked over all the time. The run game has been okay. But look at the look at the quality or lack thereof of receiving talent. I mean, look at the lack of receivers that, you know, look at the receiving talent that he had when they lost on the final play of the game against New England. I mean, we are talking about... You know, Doug Baldwin aside, not a great group whatsoever. And I think, you know, certainly friends of mine and I discuss regularly how 
John Schneider and Pete Carroll have essentially, uh, what's a kind way of putting this? They've slightly reneged <laughs> on uh, yeah. giving Wilson the sort of talent that would push him over the top in terms of getting more Super Bowl wins. Even when that defense was very, very good, um, they had an opportunity to bring in more talent, and they did with Jimmy Graham. But they, re- you know, Doug Baldwin is their number one receiver, uh, and he's a really nice player. But he's nothing, you know, and, and the kind of hole, he's a number one, he's a number two, that, that thing has slightly dissipated over the years. But he's still, you know, most teams would not go into battle with Doug Baldwin as their number one guy. And they um, lost their promising tight end, Disley, early in the season. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, and, it wasn't like he had, you know, much help past Doug Baldwin. It was just basically Doug Baldwin. That was I, it. Mean, they, they, I mean, Wilson's played behind some incredible offensive linemen. I mean, George, I mean, look at George Fant, for example. I mean, Fant was a guy essentially incredibly bad, but he was playing left tackle, <laughs> hadn't played college football, played high school football, mm-hmm. you know, and yet here he was starting in the NFL, left tackle pr- protecting one of the four or five best quarterbacks in, in, in football. I mean, it's yeah, astonishing it's really, to me. Really it's really astonishing awesome. to me. I mean, he is, uh, he is an elite player. Um, you know, and there's, there are issues. There have been... You, you wonder, and, and it speaks to a little bit to Tyler Dunn's piece in Bleacher Report, which are about Aaron Rodgers, which Rodgers has vehemently kicked back out in the last hour or two. Quarterbacks are, I mean, professional sports people are a different breed, aren't they? Quarterbacks, I think, are even even more different breed, and I think they're probably quite myopic in terms of the way that they do. You look at Ben Roethlisberger, and you know they keep Ryan Tannehill. They keep themselves themselves. They're very individual, I suppose. They are the leaders of the team. They they are the ones that you know the the team and the fan base live and die upon. And I I suspect Wilson is different in inverted commas to everybody else. But I I mean to me he's an elite player, and you give up three first rounders for him. Uh, breaking news though, real quick, and I don't want to spend much time on it, but the Miami Dolphins have also signed from the San Antonio Commanders, same team, uh, Tyrone Holmes. Uh, if you remember him as a pass nice. rusher coming out yeah. uh, with the, um, you know, Jacksonville Jaguar and Jaguars in the sixth round. Uh, somebody that um, perhaps uh, Marion Hobby might be familiar with. Mm. Um, and So what you're saying that, is that the AAF succeeded in their mission. They just went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because their players are showing up all over the place now. <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah. Uh, so. But yeah, I mean, that's he has played. He has played NFL games just like J. Ron Elliott. He has played in NFL games. Tyron Holmes has, and uh, just like J. Ron Elliott, he had a ludicrous pressure rate this year in the AAF. Um, so another another pure pass rusher uh, presence that Miami has signed ahead of the draft to sort of get um, get some bodies in there because clearly they – I mean, who was – who's the pass rush presence other than Charles Harris? I, before, Charles, wait, wait, wait. I mean, Charles I mean, Harris. Yeah. Yeah, like when – Char- that, When Charles Harris is there, Chris. When Charles Harris is the guy and you're looking for another guy, then you know you're in deep trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this this roster, man, this is wow. one of the worst rosters I've seen in a long, long time. It's not, it's not that it's like all the way bad. It's that, it's that there are certain parts of it that are just black holes. <laughs> well, I mean, look, quarterback, pretty bad. I mean, it's probably the worst in the league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, running back is another issue that, you know, uh, there was a, a Sports Illustrated report the other day ranked the, the units. 
we were thirty second in terms of our, the strength of our running back. Group. Yeah, but that was complete bullshit. You know? I thought. Well, except is it though? I mean, we can talk about yeah, Kenyon yeah, Drake, <laughs> but well, is it though? Again, look how bad our offensive line is. Say it again. Yes, it it's is. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is actually. I mean, we lost Frank Gore. Thirty second is thirty second is not is not accurate. No, it's not. But it's pretty low. It's pretty low because we can talk I about mean, how much we got Kenyon Drake. But thirty second is the worst in the league. Kenyon Drake and, and Kalen Balaj are not the worst in the league. Well, no, worst unit in the league. Not talking about worst backs in the league. Yeah, no. about, I mean, we have talked about what Kenyon Drake can do. But surely sometime, at some point, the rubber's got to meet the road, right? He's actually got to turn um, exciting potential into actual real-time performance without, on a consistent basis. Fair? Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. But okay. he needs the opportunities because of course, well, I mean, he, he produces with it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see, I think. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, offensive line's an absolute fucking car crash. Defensive yes, line... Is. Absolute fucking car crash. Yeah, like that, group that, is, that unit is absolutely 30 seconds. I mean, the, the two trenches are an absolute disgrace. Yes, um, and that defensive the, line is absolutely somewhere around that 30 second mark. Yeah, the, the linebacker group is interesting. It was interesting to hear Raquan McMillan talk about how he's been told to study Dante Hightower. Obviously, secondary is pretty decent and it would stack up pretty well against most secondaries in the league. You, you want a two players missing, but generally, I mean, crikey, it's a bad roster. Anyway, we will get to that in time. There'll be months of that to come where we will pontificate about the roster and somebody can complain about the gap in my teeth. Um, Anyway, it's time for us to go to break. Uh, When we come back, we will analyse both offensive and defensive lines for the draft. We'll dig out some players that we like, that is worth keeping an eye on, and um, it will be fun. And we'll probably have at least three or four of them playing on our team next season because God knows we need them. Anyway, first, this. You're listening to the Five Reason Sports Network. We've created a menu of intelligent and entertaining content on demand for commutes, workouts, and more. And by now, you're already familiar with the 15 different podcasts in our network. Today, we are proud to announce the premiere of our brand new website, FiveReasonSports.com. On it, you'll find columns from more than a dozen of our hosts, many who are professional writers in the market. Watch original videos from shows like Miami Heat Beat and Balls Cast. Browse our full merchandise shop. And unlike other outlets in the area, there's no paywall. Everything is absolutely free. All of this from a network that's credentialed from all five major sports teams in South Florida. Oh yeah, did we mention that it's free? We're by Miami for Miami. We're sports on your schedule. We're Miami Sports On Demand. We're the 5 Reason Sports Network. Go to 5ReasonSports.com today. Hi, this is Craig Mish from Swings and Mishes here on the 5 Reasons Podcast Network. Just in case you missed any of our podcasts in the past, here's what you missed. We have been um, extremely aggressive in, in trying to acquire additional uh, international dollars, not just for you know uh, potential free agents with two first names. It's nice that that ownership is is fully supportive and allowing us to to, to do everything in our power um, to be um, the best team in, in in this region, in the Gateway to America, and 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 for Miami to become a destination spot for 
for all Latin players uh, because, you know, this is such an international city. Welcome back to Three Hours Quick Carry. I'm Simon Clancy, the one with the tooth cap. Uh, joining me, as always, uh, Alfredo Antiaga and Chris Kaufman. Boys, let's get started. Offensive line in the draft. Let's go outside to in. Tackles. Who do we like? Who don't we like? Who do we kind of feel like fits what we're looking for? Um, obviously, we have Laramie Tunsil, uh, what we think is a kind of all-pro all pro potential player. Uh, mm. One of the best four, five, six tackles in the league. But obviously, no more Joanne James, right tackle an issue. You really don't want to be starting Jesse Davis there, especially with a 59-year-old quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick. It feels like an opportunity, if we are looking at 2020 for a quarterback, to actually uh, um, bed in some talent on that offensive line so they have a year together before a new quarterback starts in a year's time. What do we think about, I mean, tackle-wise, John Taylor, Andre Dillard, looks like the best pass, pure pass protector, Jonah Williams obviously can play either tackle spot, guard. You've got Dalton Risner who can play probably all five spots along the line. Mm. Ty Howard. The, the, there's a decent class of of tackles, even down into the Josh Miles and people like that, Pipkins, those sort of guys, in the, you know, probably third day guys and free agent guys. What do we think, boys? What are we looking at? I think there's two guys that are absolutely perfect fits. and But the problem with them is the asset that you're going to have to use to get them. And that's Jawan Taylor. Dalton Risner, Jawan Taylor, you're going to have to use 13 if you want him. And I don't know if that's enough because there's a couple of teams ahead of them, namely the Texas Jaguars, that could be in on him big. Buffalo Bills or another. I don't think he makes it to 13, I've got to say. Yeah, but I'm saying if you want him, you're going to have to use 13. And how do you explain to your fan base that you just, you know, you let Jawan James go, no matter what we think about him. Yes, he was expensive. Denver paid him a lot of money. But you let a right tackle go that you were kind of happy with, and now you're going to use the 13th pick in the draft on another right mm. tackle. You know, I think that's pretty hard to sell. Mm. So yeah, we all agree that they're going to have to try to trade down. But if they trade down into the 20s, I could see like a Dalton Risner makes perfect sense in there. Mm. So I mean, Dillard to me is the best pure left tackle. Is the best pass protecting left tackle in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. I like Taylor. I'm operating. And, on, I'm operating on the assumption that Larry Tunsil is our guy for the next. Yeah, team. exactly. I don't think we need a. I don't think we need Dillard. So yeah. then, that, like you said, that brings into into play some of those guys. What about Jonah Williams? Because um, you could play him at left guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could. I mean, I think he's a more than serviceable left tackle anyway. Yeah. Um, you can also play him at right tackle. I've spoke to him. I spoke to him in preseason. Just a guy who absolutely loves football. Um, he's going to get a high grade in terms of his intelligence and his on the board work. Obviously, played at a very high level in the SEC. Would you would you draft him? Because he kind of feels like he's in that sort of thirteen to twenty three kind of area. He's sort of slipped a little bit, I suppose, not for any fault of his own necessarily, just from a couple of our players kind of rising. But he's been one of those solid players over the you know, he was a right tackle and then kicked across to the left side this season and didn't disappoint, didn't didn't let anybody down. Yeah, I would absolutely draft him for let's say the only reason I wouldn't is basically not his fault it's the fault of whoever's building this roster because i think an edge player defense alignment is much more important than a guard so i wouldn't want to use the asset that i would need to use to get a jonah williams Mm. Um, what what about big cody ford of oklahoma now that's interesting i like the other i like the oklahoma left tackle i'm wondering whether he can is bobby evans i'm wondering if he can play right tackle Mm. because he's played it before 
So, yeah, like I'm not really into using any of our top 50 picks because on a, on a tackle or a guard because, good God, we need help everywhere else. And I think we're just going to have to punt on a high on a high pick on the offensive line, at least this year. I mean, the interesting thing is with the Patriots, certainly, apart from, I suppose, Nate Solder and um, Logan Mankins, I can't think of too many high picks well, they that took the Patriots the, used. They took the, Georgia, on... the Georgia left tackle last year. That's yeah, it. yeah, Isaiah Wynn. But beyond, beyond that, I can't think of too many players over the years in the Belichick era and certainly the, the era that Flores and Chad O'Shea have been there. They've, they've, you know, what they've done is, is turn over and find really good players in the mid to late Areas obviously Dante's going to hear that the offensive line coach is a genius, but you know you look at a Marcus Cannon, you look at a David Andrews, you look at some of those guys that they've had playing guard. You look at look what they did with Trent Brown last year. I mean, not without talent, but you know his performance certainly in the playoffs where uh, he didn't even give up pressure is you know says it all really in the contract he obviously got with the Raiders. It feels like all of a sudden you're looking a little bit further down, and you know Alabama is a team that Belichick has always liked. Stanford again is a team that you know. The, they're the kind of the core teams, and you look at some of those players. What about a guy like Yodney Kajus, the who came into the to the uh, the local pro day last Friday, tore his pec, I think, in um, in a workout a few weeks ago. But um, the West Virginia left tackle, could he? You see, you boys see him kicking across to the right side. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think Yodney Kajus could play right tackle, but I mean, really, I'd want to give him a crack at left tackle first because I think he might be good enough for it, and that's where his best value is going to it's it's kind of a weird class altogether because when Andre Dillard is you know as you say is possibly the best pure left tackle in the draft um then it's it's a bad tackle draft to me uh I I look at guys like Juwan Taylor as I mean Juwan Taylor is the best offensive lineman in the draft or the best uh the best tackle in the draft anyway and uh, and he's a he's been a pure right right tackle with Florida, so that kind of says how weird and kitschy of a class it is. Um, when he would have to be moved over to left tackle, you've got a guy in Chuma Idoga who we all like of USC, who um, who could be moved over to left tackle. He's played well enough to do it, uh, but he was a right tackle at um, at USC, and I think that he might actually be up there with Jawan Taylor as among the best tackles in the draft uh so it's it's just a very strange class and and a guy like um you're talking about jonah williams who's probably gonna have to move inside to left guard i think you know that it's it's emblematic of um of this draft i actually like the the guys you know i like Jawan taylor quite a bit and i think he slide right in and replace Jawan james easily at right Mm -hmm. tackle and and you'd be fine as you say he's not even gonna make it a 13 forget forget that you know the trade down issue he's not even going to make it to 13 he's yeah, going to go sure. way before our pick um so so already you're kind of on on different guys you're on uh, later guys and and that's where i think there's some value i actually liked some of these guys uh later on in the draft as i mentioned chuma Idoga and um and yadney kajust and Titus Howard of Alabama State is another one that showed up at the Senior Bowl and, and just owned everybody, really. Um, he, and McGarry kid at Washington is another one. Yeah, Caleb McGarry played right tackle yeah. at the um, the Senior Bowl. He played it pretty well. I thought Howard, uh, Titus Howard, uh, you know, particularly he stole Zach Allen's soul during the game. And uh, and he had pro, pro football focus kind of graded everybody's, everybody's um, individual like their uh, – 
their offensive line versus defensive line drills where they do the pit drills um, during the week of practice. And Howard had the highest win rate of all of the offensive linemen, period. Uh, and and he, was, he was a compelling – compelling small school guy and I think that that's actually a theme when you look at the offensive linemen in general and the offensive tackles is the small school guys are kind of kind of showing up there um because I think that there are other small school guys and particularly in the interior if you look at Josh Miles of Morgan State um and Nate Davis of uh, of Charlotte uh they're they're sort of really really compelling um and sort of some guys that you hadn't really heard of until the senior bowl all of a sudden like Chuma Idoga, um, even though he's not a small school uh, still. Um, I think that some of those guys are really compelling. So I, you know, first round, not necessary, not a good tackle class for it anyway. Um, so, but you can get some guys, you know, later on. And I've got uh, definitely Idoga, Howard and Kajus targeted. I wouldn't be, um, averse to uh to guys like mcgarry or uh simon you've talked about dennis daly um south carolina kid yeah right and possibly uh tyler jones i know that uh, ethan greenidge is another guy that i've i've looked at um villanova who might get drafted might not get drafted if he doesn't get drafted to me he's a no-brainer as a uh, ubfa got the body for it but yeah that's the those are some guys that you can really that you can play there and uh and i would look forward to seeing what they've got right sharping is another i mean barry jackson just reporting now that the dolphins are signing four san antonio commanders players uh, <laughs> two un, two unnamed players plus elliot and holmes so we are fast becoming the new home for the defunct San Antonio Commanders. Like uh, I said, the AAF succeeded in their mission. They just went out of business. You know, I wonder who the who the other guys are because there's a couple of there's a couple of nose tackles there who were, who played for Jacksonville. Um, Richard Ivy maybe was with the Jaguars for a couple of seasons on the practice squad. I wonder if he might be one of the guys. Just Flaherty, the connection there maybe. Mm. Hobby maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Um, uh, Joey, Am- Joey Am- boosted out at uh, Joey Am- boost, at- yeah. when I was watching them. Let's flip to the interior um, and the guards and the centers. Let's start with the guards. And I, I suppose it starts, you know, we've talked about Williams. We've talked about Cody Ford a little bit, who could kick inside. In terms of the pure guards, Chris Lindstrom of Boston College is obviously a guy that the Dolphins like an awful lot. Barry Jackson reporting that we'd met him on three separate occasions. Um, and we sent Pat Flaherty to work him out as well. Um, then you've got guys like, you know, I mean, let's throw them all in together. But obviously the kid I really like at NC State, Garrett Bradbury. We've got Eric McCoy at Texas A&M, who looks like he'll, end, you know, certainly listen to Peter King today. Feels like he's going to go in the first round. You've got a couple of, uh, a couple of Michaels, Jordan and, uh, and, uh, and Dieter, 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 the Wisconsin kid. Mm-hmm. Um Dito, who I certainly think could, you know, as a plug-and-play starter, you look at guys like Conor McGovern, Chris, you talked about Nate Davis earlier on, you've got the kid at Alabama, Pierce Backer and, and Bo Benchfrazel at, at Wisconsin, all the way down to, you know, you look at someone like Alex Bars of Notre Dame, who looks like a good player, got injured uh, halfway through the seasons, played right tackles, played inside at guard, um, in fact, was the replacement for Quentin Nelson and, and, and played very well. You look at his tape against Rashan Gary earlier in the season, the first game of the season against Michigan, um, and he certainly held up very well. Nate Herbig, you know, talk about Stanford. Stanford is a school that um, is a school that the Patriots certainly like to go to the well at. <clears throat> excuse me, um, and you could absolutely see that uh, being a guy. And then 
you know, the Oklahoma guys, we talked about the exterior guys, but Drew Samir, Ben Powers, mm-hmm. um, there's some, there's some talent on the inside where you can, uh, you know, you can find a guy or two because God knows we need a guy or two that can, um, <laughs> you know, Venzel Bullware of Miami, he was at the local pro day, um, the throw hole kid at Arkansas. There's, there's, there's talent, you know, way down to the, into the third day. And you, you know, even Garrett Brumfield, who I liked earlier in the season at LSU, you watch LSU, you watch his tape against Gerald Willis. Uh, another guy I really liked from from the year. I mean, he was you know he's a road grader in the run game, but there's some there's some talent out there depending on what you like. Mm. Yeah, one guy that I really find interesting in one respect, and that's the little respect that he gets. <laughs> I think his tape is pretty damn good, and that's Lamont Gallard as far as a, a mm. center. There is no draft board anywhere that has a higher than the fourth rated center, which means he's a fifth round pick or beyond. Yeah, he's scrappy. He's scrappy. He's strong but scrappy. I mean, the, the guy that I haven't mentioned stout. is the kid. Yeah, Short stout, you know, the kid at Mississippi State as well. Elton Jenkins is a, yeah. is another guy. You know, you could see second, third round area for him. You know, but you come away with a Brumfield, a uh, Brumfield, a uh, Bradbury, a McCoy, um, or a uh, you know a uh, uh, Jenkins, and mm. you know you look like you might be set for ten years in the middle certainly. And then you know Gallard is a guy that could, you know depending on what you need, depending on what scheme you're going to run. And really, we don't know what the, you know, we don't know if we're running a 3-4 defense. We don't know offensively. <laughs> we, we know nothing at the moment. We really don't, you know. So we don't know. Are we running zone? Are we running, what, what are we running offensively? So, I mean, obviously that pitch will begin to clear a little bit, you know, when we look at the guys that we draft. But, you know, it's fascinating to see how it's going to play out. But it kind of feels like we're going to add probably two offensive linemen and then a bunch of guys undrafted free agents, doesn't it? Because those, that's, there's a lot of spots up for grabs. Depending on what they've done, depending on what they've done with the AAF and, you know, who they've added <laughs> San there. San Antonio. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, because apparently we've added the entire team. Um, so, you know, depending on what we've done there, I think that I figured it out on the 90-man roster, they probably need about um, – if. You know, if they haven't signed Michael Dunn, I'm not sure if they have or not. Um, they need like seven or eight guys, uh, offensive linemen. So, you know, they're going to draft two. And I imagine that there's going to be a whole lot more UDFAs. And so so we'll see. I, Lamont Gaillard, Gaillard is interesting. Um, I would have him. I think, Gilead, you know, it's my fourth. It's Gilead, actually, I think. Among Gilead. Is it? Is it really? Is it Gilead? Yeah. Hmm, yeah, Gilead. I didn't know oh, that's well, how you pronounce his name. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Um, Lamont Gilliard. Uh, so yeah, if if he um, if he were to be taken by the Dolphins, he he is legitimately one of my favorite centers. It's just very hard for me to get beyond Garrett Bradbury and Eric McCoy when you have an opportunity mm-hmm. to get one of those two, yes, or Dalton do. Risner for that matter. Um, yeah, can play center. Uh, when you have an opportunity to get somebody at a very at an increasingly important position in the NFL. Um, that that has the kind of skill the kind of athleticism that those guys have i think you do have to don't you don't you have to jump on it don't you have to make sure that you come away with bradbury or mccoy or risner or you know i I think that it's they're just so good and i go back and forth between mccoy and bradbury personally on which one is is actually better i think mccoy had a great senior bowl game um bradbury was no slouch certainly either um, they're both very athletic. I think Bradbury's a bit more finesse, isn't he? Whereas McCoy yeah. is going to smash you in the mouth a little bit. Right. You know, you're looking mm-hmm. for with Bradbury. If you're looking it's for nasty. a guy that's they're both yeah, nasty. yeah, 
they're both not. But Bradbury is the guy that can get out those reach blocks and get you know. Yeah, it's rare to see a centre that can do what he does in terms of that quickness, getting out in front and just getting in position and turning his body. I mean, he does an astonishing job really of uh, of doing that. But you know, like you say, Chris, I think they're one and one A, and you know you could toss a coin as to which one's one and which one's one A. Uh, Barry says that we're signing a cornerback and a receiver from the San Antonio Commanders. So while we continue to talk and, and kick onto the defensive line, I will just have a look. But by, by the end of the oh, podcast, we're going to have the San Antonio Commanders here in Miami. So the so the so the wide receivers for the uh, San Antonio Josh Commanders. Stewart. Where are we? Uh, Demarcus Ayers, John Diaz, Darius Prince. And Greg Ward, I reckon it might be Darius Prince. Um, yeah, we have Mikhail McCauley, Mikhail McKay is one of those. Alonzo Moore, um, John, yeah. Josh Stewart, I remember. Now let me ask you guys about another. What's, guy. what's the name of Alabama guy? Uh, I bet you their son is Zach Sanchez. He was the Nebraska kid, wasn't he? Yeah, Oklahoma kid. I mean, mm-hmm. Zach Sanchez. Yeah. Uh, oh, the uh, the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now let Let's, me ask you guys about about a guy that. <laughs> You know, we didn't mention him when we were talking about the tackles, but he's kind of interesting in the sense that he looked good at the combine, just didn't put up, you know, many good numbers, but that's Greg Little out of Mississippi. Mm. Where does he play in the NFL? Is he going to be a left tackle or is he a guard? I think he's not. I think he needs a – I don't think he's a guard. I think he needs a year in the weight room. I don't think he's particularly strong. Mm. Um, That would be my concern, certainly. Um, You know, having watched him, I think he's a – I think he's a fascinating player, but he does not look like a guy who's going to come in and play from the get-go because I just don't think he's physically strong enough to do so. And that's, you know, there's a huge step up in strength. You know, this this is a guy that just looks like he needs some time in the weight room. I mean, he's got the size, the length, uh, you know, he's quick. He's a real quick mover. You know, he looks like he can, uh, he looks like he can multiple, uh, work in multiple schemes. Um, and I think he's an excellent pass protector but I just think that sometimes he I think sometimes he tends to bend a little bit too much uh, at the waist and Mm -hmm. sort of gets off balance and I kind of feel like it's a strength issue because he just doesn't trust his ability to keep people at bay with that kind of punch you know that really jolt a defensive end and I think he sort of tends to lean in and uh, you know that would be a concern I think he probably ends up on the right side but I think he probably isn't much of a contributor in year one just because I just don't think he's strong enough I would, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't say it any better. I mean, honestly, uh, he just never stood out to me as a, as a strong talent personally. We'll it feels on. like to me, he so, ends and, up in the maybe a fourth round, third, fourth round area. Preferences are more for that strong, you know, people mover type. I don't know, but um, I just, just don't see it. Interesting little tidbit about Greg Little. In 2016, he was a top five recruit in the nation. Mm-hmm. He had a teammate, yeah. Bobby Evans. The quarterback on yep. his Allen, Texas team was Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, yeah. And you know who was the top recruit over the other two guys? This guy, Greg Little. So that's mm-hmm. – it shows you what rivals and all those yep. star uh, – those little star designations that they give to these high school prospects, what they really do mean in the end. It's interesting to watch the NFL circle back to those guys, though, too. Um, yeah. You know, even though they're, they have had disappointing college careers one way – or another, the NFL does have a tendency to circle back to them and say, you know, hey, I want to see, I want to see what you can do. Maybe if we get you some different coaching or get you in a different mm-hmm. situation. Um, so maybe, maybe they're thinking that. But I, honestly, I'm, 
not, I'm not there on him. Let's flip to the other side of the ball then. Let's look at defensive line. And, it, you know, it is a transcendent, fairly transcendent draft in terms of talent. You are looking at guys that you'll get in the second round who most years you'd get in the first. And flip that down. Guys that you'll get in the third and fourth, you'd normally get in the second and third. Mm-hmm. What, there is, let, let's, you know, the, the guys at the top end, the Nick Bozers, the Josh Allens, the Quinn and Williamses, I think we can pretty much eradicate them unless there's the, we have a, a narrowly tonsil type situation. There is, uh, there has been, and again, it goes back to the old smoke machine, but there has been rumours about Ed Oliver, some off-field mm. issues. You know, we, we certainly saw him, you know, he announced before the start of the season that he wasn't going to play uh, or that he was going to declare for the draft. He got an injury and some uh, Houston queried just how serious that injury was or whether or not he was protecting his assets. Then there was the kind of meltdown that he had with Major Applewhite on the on the sidelines towards the end of the season where he was in a in a team-sanctioned coat and he was asked to remove it because it was supposed to be for one of the players and he, he got mm-hmm. right in his coach's face. He, he, but he, the flip side is he's a phenomenal talent. You know, and he's a guy that if he was there at 13, you'd feel like you'd sprint up to the to the podium to hand in the the card. Then there are, you know, you look at this, the the Clemson guys, you know, Marion Hobby's going to know, Christian Wilkins, just a great human being, a player that's got better and better and better over the four years. With Dexter Lawrence, and we're crying out for that kind of skill set that Lawrence possesses. Um, Cleveland Ferrell, I'm not a massive fan of Ferrell, but, you know, I'm also not a massive fan of Montez Sweat or Brian Burns. I think there's issues with all three of them, but they are there in the mix in terms of players that the Dolphins will be looking at. There is a just a vast array of talent right the way down the second. We talked about Collier, Bonogu, and Charles Amenahu, and the, there is Rashan Gary and Chase Winovich. There is just a, you know, a, an absolute fool's gold of talent here in the uh, this defensive line and this draft, isn't there? And um, again, much like the offensive line, you kind of figure like the Dolphins are going to be coming away with two or three of them because that's really what they need. Mm. What, who do we like, boys? What, what give give the people a bit of a flavour? Well, I think that it's kind of obvious. We talked about it a lot in this podcast, and that's that they want to trade down. But if there's a guy in this draft that could fall the 13, besides the obvious, you know, you know, some by miracle of God that Kyler Murray gets to 13, if there's a guy that could get there and change my mind about trading down to get more assets, that's Ed Oliver. Mm. He falls mm. to 13. I just take him blindly okay. and and. I, I'm not really hoping for the best because I know what the best can be. Like, I'm not going to call him a sure thing because he's not. I, I believe the only sure thing in this draft is probably Nick Bosa. You know, if there's another guy, you you guys could let me know. But Ed Oliver, my God, he could be he could be one of those transcendent talents. So he's one of the few guys in this draft that I would not trade out of the position for, and I would mm. just take at 13. Mm. So Ed Oliver. Obviously, I like all the Clemson guys, all of them, including mm. Cleveland Farrell. The only thing I would not use 13 on Cleveland Farrell. No. I would use it on Christian Wilkins if I didn't get a good offer to trade down, but he's not on my list of, of those guys that I wouldn't trade the pick for. And once you get into the second, third round, like there's going to be a lot to like. Yeah. Gerald also, Wilson out of Miami, you know, it, has Dalen Mack hurt himself enough? where he's a guy we can take in the fourth round and just plug in as I'm a day one that, contributor. I'm still not that interested in him, no. to be honest. Really? I mean, for not me this, in the fourth round? No, for me, this no. past Tristan Hill, Kalen Saunders, players that I just uh, yeah. I find more intriguing. Great gains. Great gains. Great gains exactly. Mm-hmm. And same with defensive end. You know, you look at someone like Jack Polite. 
you know, here's a kid who's had some some issues with you know the way that he dealt with the interview. You throw on his tape, there is yeah. there oh, yeah. there are there are not many defensive ends. In fact, I I would hazard to say apart from apart from Nick Bozer and Josh Allen and Allen defensive line, defensive end slash outside linebacker, there are not defensive ends in this draft apart from those two who have the tape that Jack Polite does. And if you end up you know if you end up finding him in the second or third round, then you can get him straight. This is a kid with real advanced NFL talent in terms of the way he uses his and hands. And it's setting up for us, to be honest with you, because he's had a disaster of an offseason. I mean, you, you, yeah, I mean, you look at some of the reports. He was a good guy off the field. He was well-liked by his teammates. You know, there was some maturity and accounting. But, you know, I mean, not everybody at age 17, 18, 19 in the national spotlight can be as can handle it as well as Chase Winovich can. Do you know what I mean? Not everybody is that way inclined. It takes some of us a little bit more to get to mature than it does others. He is a he is a very very good talent. He has got great hands. He's a really good player. But then you look at you know a guy like Zach Allen, kind of feels like a Patriots now Dolphins type. Like Jalen Ferguson, a guy that Dolphins have been interested in. Ashan Ximenez, the old Dominion defensive end, he was in Miami at the facility yesterday. Justin Hollins was there today. The Oregon, the Oregon kid. I mean. This draft is absolutely loaded at the position, isn't it? Yes. I mean, even on day even on day three, you look at guys like Anthony Nelson and Jalen Jell. I mean, there's talent. Max Crosby, a kid that we've, you know, we've apparently shown quite a lot of significant interest in them. The Eastern Michigan kid and um, podcast favorite Port yeah, Augustine. Abso- abso- yeah, absolutely, Port Augustine. And as Chris, Chris said, uh, I know. I mean, where does it stop? LJ Collier. Where does it stop? There is. Yeah. Absolutely, some filthy talent there. I mean, well, that's good we talking... because we probably need every single oh, one of them. <laughs> absolutely. Well, that's absolutely. this is this is another reason that it sort of makes sense to me that where you, you know you can get some defensive line talent in a lot of different stages of this draft, and you know what have we got Daniel Kilgore at center, and uh, and and we've got maybe Garrett Bradbury or Eric McCoy sitting on the board at at some early stage in the draft and you're just like, well, you know, maybe we can go ahead and focus on the defensive line a little bit later on. Um, and there are some defensive talent. I mean, there are some decent defensive players on the team, just not at, at pass rusher until we uh, imported the entire San Antonio commanders unit. On our team. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so at defensive tackle, I mean, we talk about Jeffrey Simmons a lot. I was and, just going to say, I've not even mentioned Jeffrey that's Simmons. The guy, that's the guy we haven't even mentioned yet, and that's the elephant in the room, I think, especially if you're not committed to winning in 2019, but you are committed to rebuilding um, and, and being a good team in the future. Certainly, that's a guy that you could look at. I know that there are, there are some issues there. People are going to have their own feelings about that tape of him as a senior, and all your feels are perfect okay trust me um you know on that uh but uh but he's a talent he's an nfl talent he is going to make a lot he's of plays the next level and um, top five guy isn't he really yeah. top five to eight guy in the entire draft and in the yeah, entire talk about in the entire draft not just his position in the entire draft right, i watched right. a documentary i watched a documentary on him the other day and this is a kid who made a terrible mistake a terrible error a terrible whatever you want to call it but by god has he worked hard to turn his life around he is a he is a stand-up, stand-out human being, um, and it doesn't denigrate from the terrible act that he committed as a senior in high school. 
but he owns up to everything that he did and boy did he turn it around i mean he's become yeah. an honor roll student a team captain i mean he is a mentor he is just a brilliant human being the other kid who fits really well schematically with what we do because he can play inside and outside is jerry tillery of notre dame and a guy, another guy we haven't mentioned at all i mean this it's impossible to you know to think that you couldn't come away with two or three you know, legitimate starting players in, from, from this draft. He reminds me a bit of Lawrence Guy, who plays for New yeah, England. Yeah, definitely, right definitely, and definitely. Probably reminds some people of Jared Odrick as well, um, if you go back in time yep. a little. I, I think that another guy that to mention that needs to be mentioned just because of how um, how prolific he was is Draymond Jones of Ohio State. Mm. Uh, he's sort of an undersized defensive tackle who is a prolific pass rusher from that defensive tackle position. And that's what you're looking for. This is a guy that can play defensive end on a lot of downs for you and then reduce inside to defense. And he's so quick on the inside. He is, he is quicker than everybody else out there, uh, regardless of what he times and and all of that stuff. Um, He is a very quick player. He is a mismatch on guards. He is going to get, he is going to get past rush from the interior and be able to play on the outside a lot like LJ Collier, another guy from TCU yep. about the same size, um, you know, about the same athletic profile, uh, by the way, an athletic profile that the New England coaches would find attractive. Yeah. Um, and he's an, another guy. He showed up the senior, I, I mentioned before the, the pro football focus uh, grading of senior bowl practices. Uh, no, no pass rusher had the sort of success rate in the senior bowl. Uh, practices that LJ Collier did so he, you know and he was not only dominant in a lot of games until he met Yadni Kajust but uh, in a lot of games for TCU um, he was dominant in the senior bowl as well he showed up you know guys that that are supposed to be good blockers and they just could not block him and he did it in the game too I mean he did it he really did he really did a great job in the game he forced a fumble a uh, Jarrett Stidham fumble was him um, you know he's he, he was a good player at TCU, a good player in the Senior Bowl, just a knockout all-around player that I think fits Miami like a glove. And Draymond Jones, LJ Collier, you know, you're looking at two players that – Charles Amenahu, you know, we, yeah. we, to bring it back to mm. him. You know, I, mm. I don't know if he's exactly the same kind of player as Draymond Jones or LJ Collier, um, but he is a player that would fit Miami and be able to be a, um, a pass rush presence and an overall presence on the outside side you know purely on the outside if you're new to this scouting thing if you haven't seen these players go back and watch the tcu game for draymond jones because in the second half he absolutely dominates that game he takes over that game dwayne haskins paris campbell offensively uh, are the ones that make the difference but defensively draymond jones there's a period of about 10 minutes where he's just everywhere it's a um it was one of the best performances you'll see all season and rushing interior exterior in terms of playing defensive and reducing inside it's a um it was a really good performance let me ask you guys let me ask you guys about one guy in particular who i think the hype has gone cold on as of late and that's rashawn gary what do you think of him at 13 simon because as the days go by it, it, it seems to me that not dolphin twitter but draft twitter is keeps finding reasons to keep passing up on this guy that high. He's an, he's an athletic freak. He is the high school, number one high school player. Uh, he is, 
just one of those planet theory type guys in terms of just the skill set. I mean, I met him, had a long conversation with him in Schembechler Hall last year. He has hands like shovels. He's a great kid. He has always been blessed with greatness. I mean, they always knew that he was going to be special. And yet, mm-hmm. injuries, some people have said Don Brown's scheme didn't particularly suit what his skill set was. He loves football. He is a, you know, he, he, he runs like the wind, especially at his size. I mean, he's a physical beast but I just don't see the production on tape and I, I, Brian Baldinger had a fascinating video the other day showing him coming off the edge and you know he will get under you he will get uh, you know accelerate off the snap and then when it comes to actually clicking and closing in terms of just once you've got under and then driving to the quarterback for some reason he just fell off and to yep. me on, on tape Chase Winovich was significantly the better player now, he didn't have Gary's you know, he had a much harder route to get to the uh, to get to where he got. I think he was he was a linebacker, switched to tight end, played special teams. It finally added fifteen pounds playing defensive end. To me, I would be drafting Chase Winovich over Rashan Gary. Um, also, very uh, gifted himself, though. Uh, oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Athletically, um, he is a he is a compelling oh, player. Oh, hundred percent. From a spark standpoint and all that, like, and a, another great human being for for which there is more to life after football. I mean, absolutely. I, I, about Rashan Gary, I will say this, um, and I realize the production thing is is not there, and exactly what Baldinger describes is exactly what bothers me whenever I watch him. Mm-hmm. Is you see, he's doing it all right, and then when it comes to finishing, you know, against the blocker, um, he's got the right leverage and everything. Uh, it just it just doesn't happen for some reason, but he does. the 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 thing that I would focus on, if say he was a Miami Dolphin, is the fact that he makes plays for you, or he helps your defense in a lot of different ways, not just mm-hmm. one way. And if it was just the one way with that, you know, ultra sack production, then you, everybody would be more comfortable, right? They'd be like, oh yeah, he's got twenty sacks, of course. Um, but, you know, he makes plays for you as a defense and helps you win on a lot of downs in a lot of different ways. Mm. And he does it because he's an athletic freak and because he's a good overall football player. I think if people wouldn't criticize him as much if he weren't such an athletic mm. freak, you know, if he weren't such an athletic freak, then I think people would say, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is a really good player. This is an underrated player. But because he is an athletic freak, they, you know, the needle it goes the the tide goes the other way on him mm. and um and I, I would still be happy to have him on my team i think you're going to be happy he's going to make a lot of plays for you on a lot of different downs and a lot of different ways and you'll be happy to help you can certainly use him creatively can't you one last thing before we get out of here because it's like three o'clock in the morning or some shit here um which is the number one defensive lineman in college football draft a little eligible defensive lineman who made more plays 20 plus yards down the field in terms of chasing plays down who is that player we have talked about him. Wow. One defensive lineman who made more plays than any other draft eligible player, twenty pl- or pl- twenty plus yards down the field. Ed Oliver. It's yeah, no. it should be Ed Oliver because he could run. He's in the he's in the top three. Hmm. It's not Quinn and Williams, is it? It's not. It's Chase Winovich. There Chase Winovich. Yeah. Which just adds to the the compelling nature of his talent. Yeah, he's he's he's. It's really good. You almost go. You're, you wonder about in Miami's system where you're trying to think of. Yeah, where I mean, do you I, we get exactly. This, right? We get trapped in this, right? We're we're mm. looking for New England comparables, right? Mm. Right. Um, 
And so, okay, well, Chase Winovich, he's not really a Trey Flowers, right? I, I don't think he's going to no. pass rush on the inside. Could be Carl Van Noy, though. Yeah, yeah. It could. Yeah, is he is he that? Is he going to convert to a real linebacker? If he if you are figuring him to do that, is that a little bit chancy? You know, um, having him do something that's that's not very similar to what he's already done before. Um, state linebacker in high school. Yeah. Mm. Well, was it was all state. Yeah, linebacker. yeah absolutely, absolutely. He was he was a, he was a four star recruit as a linebacker. Oh, right. well, I mean, he, he he was recruited to go to Ohio State and turn them down to go to Michigan. Shows so you how much was, I keep track of high school players. He was heftily recruited. Anyway, let's uh, let's get out of here. We should be back. I mean, how many was it? Sixteen days to go to the draft. Now it's getting uh, mm-hmm. it's getting excited. So um, yeah. we haven't arranged our plans for draft week, but no, no doubt we shall have multiple podcasts that week. So look out for them. Uh, thanks for listening to Chris, to Alf, and to the gap tooth English fellow that everybody hates. Um, and we shall see you in seven days. Fuck off, all of you, frankly, because <laughs> I don't care. Um, see you in seven, especially the fat fella. Um, you can definitely fuck off. See you in seven days. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.